Welcome to the House of Bliss podcast. My name is Cole Harmon. I will be your captain on this flight into the depths of the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our flight time is roughly one half hour. Before we take off, I just want to give a couple of announcements. First, if you would like to give to the show, you can head to the link in the description. And for the price of at least $1 or any amount above that that you choose, you can have access to all of the House of Bliss goodies such as testimonies, reading lists, special teachings, and many, many more. So please keep your hands and feet on the plane at all times. Do not open the exit doors mid-air. And be sure to put on your seatbelt, kick back, and enjoy a free drink from Jesus. You know, I do my best for these intros, so I hope you people are entertained because we have a lot of ground to cover today. I could hardly contain my excitement as I was gathering my notes for this episode. I hope that you laugh. I hope that you cry. I hope that you die and get resurrected by the glory that surrounds you as you listen to this podcast. So please, uh, like I said before, buckle up. Uh, before I dive in, I also wanted to take a quick moment to celebrate the birth of my son. His name is Link, and I am so excited to be a dad all over again. Um, it's been a really joyful and chaotic and wonderful time in the Harmon House. We've had a steady series of guests from out of town, and so obviously I haven't been able to do as much podcasting, but I am back on the saddle, and I am fired up up and I am ready to share with you what I've got. So we'll get right to it. I want to start off by sharing a testimony from a few weeks ago. So I went out with a friend of mine and it was about 11 p.m. at night. So it's dark and I felt like I was specifically supposed to go to one of the roughest parts of Cleveland. So my friend and I, we go to this uh, convenience store, and I felt like I was just supposed to start sharing the gospel with people. And so I found this lady sitting in her car, and immediately my right shoulder got hot. Typically for me, that means I'm getting a word of knowledge. And so I asked this lady, who you got to realize, I am just this uh, weird-looking, curly-headed, white kid with a fanny pack, no less, uh, just talking to random people in a side of town that I had no business being in. Um, and so I approached this woman while she's sitting in her car and I asked her, Hey, are you having pain in your right shoulder? She was obviously really confused, but she said, yes, I have a, uh, torn rotator cuff. I can hardly move my arm without much pain. And so, <clears throat> I went on to explain to her that God was talking to me about her and that he wanted to heal her shoulder. And so I got to pray for her and she was instantly healed on the spot. She felt all the pain leave. She was able to move her shoulder around. And mind you, she was not a believer and she was definitely not expecting that to happen. So all these people who are like, oh, healing, it's just an emotional frenzy. Yeah, no, this lady was emotional afterwards because she had no idea what to do with it. 
And when I looked at this lady, I could just see those eyes, uh, those, those eyes that have light in them, but they're just buried by layers of disappointment, layers of hardship, layers of death in the family, layers of working and striving just to try to get by in life. And so I asked her, I said, has anybody ever told you how much you mean to Jesus? And she looked up at me with this amazing look of vulnerability and said, no, what do you mean? And so this is what the Holy Spirit dropped in my spirit, what I wanted to say to you guys, and it's kind of the premise of my whole show tonight, is I was reminded of Francois Francois Dutoy, uh, the writer of the Mirror Bible. He has this amazing analogy about gold. If we think about it, what is gold? Gold is a rock. It's a stone. If nobody decided that they wanted to put it in their electronic devices, wear it on their wrists, and give it away to their grandmothers, it would still just be sitting in the ground worthless. But what makes gold so special is that there are people out there who are willing to pay lots and lots of money and even fight and kill each other over it. So gold, which goes from being a rock in the ground covered by dirt, goes to one of the most valuable substances on earth because there are people who are willing to pay for it. The other thing, too, is uh, gold does not become gold when it's discovered. It might be buried by layers and layers of dirt, but it is always gold. And so this lady started to get tears uh, rolling down her face as I explained to her that Jesus Christ is God. He lives in perfect bliss and perfect peace and all the splendor that you could ever imagine. And he laid all of that aside and paid his own blood for this woman's life. So no matter where she comes from or what she's been through or what she thinks she's worth, God thinks that she is worth his blood. And so I got to invite her into a friendship with him for the very first time. It was such an amazing moment. The Holy Spirit just flooded her car and uh, it was truly incredible. So I want to share with you something that I don't hear often talked about with the cross. I'm continuing my series, The Glories of the Cross. This is part four. And uh, I want to share something with you that the blood of Jesus speaks to your worth and it speaks to your value and your original origin in God. Well, if we take a look in Luke chapter 15, there's a quick series of parables. Jesus tells three stories. The first one is about a lost sheep who's a part of a fold and wanders off. And it says the shepherd, who is God in this story, leaves the 99 behind and goes after that one little sheep. The next one talks about a woman who loses a coin and proceeds to tear her entire house apart. And when she finds this one lost coin, she is overjoyed. And the last parable is one that we all know very well, the prodigal son, where a father has a son who goes wayward. He gets himself in such a bad situation that he's literally eating pig food. And then he comes back to his father's house. And rather than being angry or embarrassed, the father embraces him, kisses him, and welcomes him back into the house. Now, we get told in Western Christianity all the time 
that we have no inherent value, that we're worthless, that we're rotten to the core, and it's only in spite of this that God is good. Uh, you know, he just, he did it because he's good, but there's nothing in us that he saw that was worth rescuing. But I just want to say that in light of the Bible, this is complete and utter garbage. All of these parables are communicating the fact that though these items are lost, they once had a place. And so just because gold is covered in dirt does not mean that it's not valuable. It simply needs to be recovered. You know, if you are made in the image of God, this is how the Eastern Orthodox Church uh, thinks about things is not that people are rotten to the core, but that our original uh, blueprint or image of God is there. It's just marred. It's just been cracked, so to speak. And we're not rotten to the core. We are damaged. So Jesus comes to heal and restore and recover that original innocence. Before anything ever went wrong, God said to everything he made, it is very good. And that original blessing still stands. That before we ever made the choice to sin, we started out innocent and loved and belonging. So consider these scriptures. This is in Ephesians chapter 5, starting with verse 1. Mirror God, you are his offspring. And this is how. Let the love of Christ be your life. Remember how he abandoned himself to us. His love is contagious, not reluctant, but extravagant. Sacrificial love pleases God like the sweet aroma of worship. And let's check out this scripture in Romans chapter 8. Oh my God, this is whacked up. This is, uh, <laughs> oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. Oh, <laughs> yes, Lord. All right. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Just feel it now. Okay. This is verse 832. I can hardly read. I can feel the glory. The gift of his son is the irrefutable evidence of God's heart towards us. He held nothing in reserve, but freely and undeservedly gave everything we could ever wish to have. That is what our joint sonship is all about. Oh. So in essence, the sacrifice of Christ is saying that there is no price that God won't pay. There is no suffering he won't endure. It's not just the death. It is his entire life. The fact that he abandoned his divinity, he abandoned everything that he was and emptied himself for our sake, poured himself out as an offering to show his undying and uh, unquenchable love for his people, that there is no length he wouldn't go to to get his kids back. But this challenges every assessment and appraisement that we have about ourselves. If I was to ask you how much you think you, you're worth, uh, you would probably start with your job. You'd probably start thinking about your achievements, maybe how many kids you have, maybe do you take care of the homeless. I mean, all of these and I'm sure that no matter how good of a person we are, no matter what our self-assessment would be, it would be nothing compared to the infinite love and value that God places on our lives. So this means that whether you are Mother Teresa 
or you are just a common Joe who's lost, doesn't know what he who he is and is just stuck playing video games on the couch, the price tag that God is willing to pay for you is still his very own blood. That is why Jesus said we must repent or metanoia. Metanoia is a Greek word that means a radical shift in thought. Now, literally, it's crazy to me how even the word repentance gets messed up by this legal framework, Western gospel nonsense, but the, the original Greek word simply means to have a shift of thought or mind. It literally means to fuse your thoughts with God's thoughts, to fuse your opinions with his opinions. So if God says that you are worth his blood and you have any thought about yourself that doesn't align with that assessment, you are wrong and you need to let it go. <laughs> you need to understand and join and fuse your thoughts with his until you can see in yourself what he sees, which might take a lifetime because we're all unlearning. This is why the gospel takes faith to believe. It's so radically different than everything that every message that we're told every day of our lives on every billboard and every, you know, stupid Facebook advertisement that is always pointing us to the fact that we are not enough. Jesus says, I'm willing to pay my blood for you because there's gold here. Now, I want to close out with this. There's an amazing, amazing story that was first brought to my attention by a guy called Randall Worley. Um, but he points out this amazing, sort of random almost story in the book of 2 Samuel about a chap called Mephibosheth. Yeah, it's so funny. There's only like two paragraphs about this guy. And they're even like split apart in the book of 2 Samuel. So just a quick little bit of context here. Uh, king Saul and his son Jonathan are just slain in battle. So that would be the king and his uh, immediate heir have both been killed in battle. So that's very bad news for the people who live in Israel at the time. So this is where the story picks up. Now Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the report of Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled, and it happened that in her hurry to flee, he fell and became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. So uh, his nurse was taking him to flee the country, and she fell maybe on some stairs or something, and it left poor Mephibosheth crippled. Now, a few chapters later, after David David becomes king, he takes over, and uh, he was good buddies with Jonathan, and uh, so he wanted to honor his friend by being kind, and so this is what he says. Then David said, Is there yet anyone left of the house of Saul that I might, sh that I might show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. The king said, Is there not yet anyone in the house of Saul to whom I might show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is crippled in both feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machir, and the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him in front of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. Mephi I'm sorry, stay with me here. 
Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and prostrated himself. And David said, wow. Mephibosheth, he said, here is your servant, he said. David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness to you for the sake of your father Jonathan, and will restore to you all the land of your grandfather Saul. You shall eat at my table regularly. And again he prostrated himself and said, catch this. What is your servant that you should regard a dead dog like me? Then the king called Saul's servant Ziba and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given your master's grandson. You and your sons and your servants shall cultivate the land for him. You shall bring in the produce so that your master's grandson may have the food. Nevertheless, Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall eat at my table regularly. Now Ziba had 15 sons. Wow, good job, buddy. Way to get busy. And 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so your servant will do. So Mephibosheth ate David's table as one ate at David's table as one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who lived in the house of Ziba were servants to Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate at the king's table regularly. And then it finishes with this. Now he was lame in both feet. Alright, so let me just back up and unpack that. So here you have poor Mephibosheth living out in the middle of nowhere. And David asks, is there anybody that I can show kindness to for the sake of my friend Jonathan? And there's just this one surviving grandson, poor crippled Mephibosheth living out in the desert. And so they bring him in and it's apparent very quickly that he has literally no idea, not only who he is, but who his father Jonathan was. And so I imagine this is a very, a very scary meeting for him. What on earth would the king want with him? And he even says, why would you want to deal with a dead dog like me? Now, how many of us, when we're first confronted with the the gospel of Jesus, that God loves us, how many people are so numb to hearing the words, Jesus loves you, because their self-assessment is, I'm just a dead dog. We wander around life and we don't know who we are. We have no idea who our dad is. And so David he said, uh, explains everything to him and, and puts him in the house of Ziba. And all of Ziba's servants and sons have to serve him. They're going to pick the food for him. And he gets to eat at, at David's table for the rest of his life. He didn't do anything to earn this favor. It only came from whose son he was. Am I right? Are you hearing where I'm going with this? Now, I did a little bit of digging into the Hebrew because you got to realize things like names are extremely crucial details for Hebrew readers. So Mephibosheth means, it means confession of shame. So Mephibosheth, the man with a shameful confession is living in the land of Lodabar. The land of Lodabar means no word, no pasture, or no thing. Literally in the land of nothing, where there's no pasture and he has no word. He has no concept of who he is. No words over his life, so to speak. Now it says he lives in the house of Makir, who's the son of Amiel. So the house House of Amiel means people of God. So his house once belonged to the people of God, but now he's in the house of Makir, which means barter. So once going from 
belonging to the people of God and now bartered out to the land of nowhere. And then, get this, a king transfers him to the house of Zeba, which means light and radiance. Doesn't that sound a little bit like Colossians 1.13 to you? For he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. And so this guy, this cripple living in the desert, finds himself all of the sudden every fundamental building block of his identity is shifted in one moment he is now the heir of a king and he is living in the palace living the high life sitting at the place of honor at the king's table and this is what the cross of jesus christ has come to reveal to you that no matter what you think about yourself no matter what your life story is you are worth the blood of God. And if you let him in, let him love you, he will give you an inheritance, this amazing kingdom and a seat at his table. (laughs) Yes, he has a seat for you. There's enough room for you. You might think you're a dead dog. You might literally be a cripple living in the middle of nowhere, but God has a seat for you at his table. And so rather than thinking of this as a legal transaction, I want to invite you to smell the aroma of Christ Jesus's uh, fragrant sacrifice for you, that he wants you with him and nothing else will do. And there's, as the song says, no mountain he won't climb up, no wall he won't kick down coming after you. <laughs> so here's what I want you to do in response. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to put your hands out. And I want you to say, Father God, I repent, which means I sh- I shift my mind. Lord, let there be a shift in my thinking and let me uh, let go of my idea of who I am and let me begin to take on your idea of who I am. Begin to rebuild the building blocks of my identity in you. Yes, Holy Spirit, I pray that as they listen to these words, that they would be transformed in their innermost being, that they would see your great love for them and that their identity would shift. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks, you guys. It's been great.